Well, good morning, South Point. So good to be with you again today. During the Vietnam War, I went over, I was 19 years old in four days. And I have to tell you that I had not been living to serve God in any way, to honor Him in any way at that time. I remember picking up a witness track. Remember those witness tracks are about that size? Had picture on the cover. And when I picked it up, it just, I don't know, got to me. Because on the cover was a helmet with a bullet hole in it, obviously a kill shot if the helmet was on. And so I opened it up and I read it. And it was convicting to me because I realized I just wasn't living for God. And I found out that that witness track had actually come from a missionary in the area. And I sought him out and we talked several occasions, prayed each one. He gave me a a Bible, New Testament Bible. And, And I cannot tell you the impact that a missionary has on somebody's life other than my own testimony. I will forever remember that. Missionaries are important. I wish I was here last week with you. I'm recovering from a cold. You know, we actually still have colds. (laughs) And and it's not called something else, you know. (gasps) I'm distancing. I'm sorry. But he gave me that Bible, and I I think I read the Gospels. I may have read some more. I don't think I read the whole thing. But go from the Vietnam War time to 1984, and, and what I began realizing is the importance of reading God's Word. Um, I picked up that one Bible that had for four translations, you know, going down the four columns. And I can't tell you how many years it took me to read that. Several, more than four. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I picked up some other translations uh, through the years. Even went back to read the old King James. I remember the Bible that my grandmother gave me. And, uh, you know, it was the old King James. I had taken my mother's pinking shears and cut a witnessing track and marked my place. And found out pinking shears weren't exactly for that purpose. Uh, but in 1984, God called me into the ministry, and, and it was then that God really convicted me. I need to be studying God's Word, reading God's Word more often. And I made a commitment since 1984 to read the Bible through every year. Um, I didn't understand this early on, but the Holy Spirit was identifying things as I would read through the Bible. I'd be praying for you, started my ministry as a youth minister, and uh, I'd be praying for different youth, different situations going on in their lives. And, and, And looking back, I could realize God was pointing out some scripture passages to share with them. And there were times when I was faithful to do that when I could recognize that. 
uh, as I got into the pastorate, I realized more and more how God was every year highlighting something new. D- does God highlight scripture for you? I, I mean, for, for me, it's either like he put it in bold letters on the page or, or like he lifted it off the page, you know, and made it bigger. And it's like, you know, it's either a phrase or a verse or, you know, sometimes a paragraph God still does that. And I recognize it more and more. It's things that God wants me to preach on, teach on, share with. He's still answering that I've answered prayers. And I cannot tell you the number of times weekly the Holy Spirit is identifying something to me, getting my attention with something. And and such was the case when I was reading in the Gospel of John. If you want to go ahead and turn to John 15, uh, go ahead and do that. But there was a phrase that God highlighted. And the phrase in this verse was simply, ask the Father in my name, Jesus speaking. Ask the Father in my name. And I got to wondering about that. I began to say, I need to know more. You know, it was just, it was highlighted. I knew it was important, not just to me, but to others. And as I began doing some research on this, my heart was just filled with, I've got to preach this word. I don't think we understand the depth that God wants us to see in this particular verse. And so I began doing research, and, I, and what it, the research took me to was chapters 14 through 17, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the whole chapters of all of it. And, and I could see a bigger picture of what God was wanting me to see in that time. And God was saying, pay attention to this. Ask the Father in my name. Let me just read into uh, today's message from John fifteen sixteen out of the uh, English Standard Version. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Can I tell you that in my research, I found out that in the book of John, this phrase is found in four places. If you want to jot those down real quick, all John, I'll give you the chapter and the verse. So chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 14, 14, and then here in 15, 16, and then the other three are in chapter 16, verse 23, Verse 24, it's implied, but if you'll read it, you'll see it there. And in verse 26. So in these six places, we find that Jesus is telling us, ask the Father in my name. Ask the Father in my name. I think we would do well to just take a look at the, a brief look at the four chapters before going more into depth here. But Jesus is ours from going to the cross. 
And he's telling his apostles, his disciples, they're going to scatter. He's going to be hanging on the cross to die for our sins, all, all the sins of humanity, and usher into a way of us receiving grace. But they're going to scatter. And it's almost like, well, it's like today, preacher, um, I'm going to call you home next Sunday after you preach. Do you think that I'm going to give you the best word that I can possibly give you before I leave this earth? Absolutely. And I think that's what Jesus was doing here. He was giving them the most important things that they needed to understand in a short, short period of time. And so when we open up this word, in, in chapter 14, we find that Jesus reminds them that he's going to prepare a place for them. He, he's still preparing a place for us too, by the way. Isn't this great news? He's been at it for 2,000 years. It's going to be beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. We can't even fathom what Jesus is accomplishing and preparing for us right now. But it's going to be great. And this was an encouraging word to his disciples. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've heard that verse before. And he goes on to say in verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you understand that's a part of our witness to somebody else? Why is it important for us to worship Jesus? Because no one is going to come to the Father except through Him. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit as we, uh, as we get a little further in chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to dwell in them. I don't think they even comprehended that even at that time. I don't think they really comprehended it until Pentecost. But it was a promise that Jesus made. And it's still the promise that he gives to us today that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And it's important for us to understand we are the living temple of God these days as opposed to the old way of looking at Jerusalem and the temple that was there and going to the temple to meet with God. God comes and dwells in us. And then Jesus says something astonishing in chapter 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. Think about that for a moment. The, the vine or the trunk is where we see the strength for everything else that comes off. And if we're the branches, we're, we're actually gaining our strength, our growth from the vine. And he's letting us know we need to abide in him to be able to bear fruit. We need to abide in Him to gain strength in whatever we're doing in our witnessing, in our discipleship. Whatever we're doing, it doesn't come from our strength. It comes from His strength. Abide in Him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And we are to bear fruit. 
Jesus then goes on after chapter 15 into 16 to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, a concept they didn't quite understand. And Jesus is explaining this work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit, all, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all have a part in our salvation process, right? Amen? And so when we see this about the Holy Spirit, it's important. He's letting his apostles know this is important. Understand this. And then he does what we all should do. He prays for his followers in chapter 17. He prays for us. He prayed for them specifically at that time. We've all heard prayers. Heavenly Father, and then there's the body, and then, then we close with, in Jesus' name, amen. It may be as simple as, Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. And I have actually been questioned about this through my ministry years. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? I think to open up this verse, we first need to look at the very fact that God chose us. We did not choose him. Because there's a lot to that, that if we just skip over that, the heart isn't in the rest of it. Jesus chose and appointed his apostles, chose and appointed his disciples, chose and appointed us. If you're living today in a Christian, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, he chose you. And so as the shepherd about to go to the cross and his flock about to scatter. They needed to understand he chose them. There was a specific reason he chose them. All 12 of them. James, come follow me. John, come follow me. Peter, come follow me. Even Judas, come follow me. Because there was a reason for all 12. Unfortunately, for the one, it was not what we would have thought because he was going to betray Jesus. You know, you ever thought about this? Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly allowed them to nail him to the cross because he knew that this was the Father's will because of mankind. God loves us so much. And so when he chose and when he appointed them, there was a reason. And that reason follows then in, in this verse uh, with a command to keep, to go, to bear fruit, that our fruit will also abide. But there's also a joy to see in the journey. And I'm going to hit on that at the end of the message today. But all this goes back to helping us to understand that He is the vine. We are the branches that need to abide in Him. This, cho this chosen, this word chosen or to choose, it's very important in our society today too. Can I, can I liken it to 
I hesitate to do this, but it's like the president who calls someone up and says, I want to appoint you as an ambassador. I want, you to, I want to appoint you to my cabinet. You drop everything because he has chosen you to go. And you go. When I was in the military, and, and this would happen, the president would, would make an offer to come either to the White House or to the Pentagon for a reason. And in my case, it was to the Pentagon to see the Joint Chiefs of Staff twice a year, in fact. And you clear your calendar. Anybody still in the military? You clear your calendar when you're chosen to do something like this. Your bosses all the way up understand, yep, you're going to clear your calendar because the president has called. You have been chosen now, I say all that to say because this word chosen comes with an understanding of we have an obligation to respond. We have an obligation to go. And so when we put this in the spiritual context, we are obligated, just as the apostles were obligated, to follow Jesus, to go where Jesus leads. Hey, when Jesus called them, they were fishing they were cleaning their nets, they were collecting taxes, and they dropped everything. Isn't that pretty much what you read in Scripture? And followed Jesus. We have the same obligation because we are chosen also to go. So I want to look at this command in three parts as we go on. The first part, to go. Probably reminds you of some other Scripture passages I'll take you to Matthew um, uh, 28, 19 very quickly that just simply says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, if you would. Another place where this is seen is in the prayer in John 17, 18, where he says to the Father, as you have sent me, so have I sent them. As you have sent me, so have I sent them. But what was Jesus saying just prior to this command? Notice that our focal verse begins very clearly with who, cho who chose whom. And these men did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose them, appointed them that they should go. Now, God was claiming them as friends. I don't know if you realize that or not. Everything Jesus did with his disciples was to share everything that he could about his father, about his kingdom, about his mission here on earth. Everything. You, you're drawing people into a friendship. To say that this was the closest friendships that Jesus probably had in his life would be an understatement. And there were three that were even closer than the 12 as a group. Three specifically, and you can see that as Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays. That Jesus was even closest to. Now, would it be an understatement to say of us, if we have a best friend who calls us up, 
and has a problem and they need to talk to someone that has skin on that yeah they've prayed and everything but you know what sometimes those problems persist we want to talk to somebody don't they call you up and they tell you I got a problem and you give understanding and you give encouragement and you give support and you probably pray for them also yeah, I mean, isn't that what you do with your friends? And you can see Jesus doing this. He, his, his disciples asked, how do you pray? He taught them how to pray. He sent them out and empowered them with his power because they were abiding in him. And they went not always successfully, especially this one time recorded in the scripture, they kind of blew it there. But best friends talk to best friends. Now guys, I'm talking to the guys. I have a best friend. He calls me up. He says, hey, Willie, what's going on? And if he gets real verbose, he says, hey, Willie, what's going on with you? Now, guys, you know that pretty much when you get through with the howdies, you're already ready to say, okay, goodbye. <laughs> and yet these are our best friends, and we understand that. Ladies, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, <laughs> but you have a whole lot more middle here than what us guys have, Okay? and still best friends. Jesus is saying to them, God is your best friend right now. God wants to let you know everything about him. He wants to empower you, give you his strength to be able to go and do what he's called you to do. And so this is the relationship. And without understanding that, I think we miss a lot of what's coming in this verse. We are obligated to go because he has chosen us. We go. I think also we need to look at the part of the command about bearing fruit. The second part um, and taking you back to a parable of the sower in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Remember that? Jesus is sowing the word in four types of soil. It's not until we get to the fourth soil that Jesus says, and this was good soil. This was good soil that produced a hundredfold. 60-fold, 30-fold. In other words, folks, when we go and when we bear fruit, we're not going to all bear the same amount of fruit. We're going to witness to different people. Some are going to respond better than others respond. It's okay as long as we're faithful to go and bear fruit. This is our witnessing part, by the way. 
The mindset of the apostles, though, we need to recognize it was something consistent wherever they went. Wherever they went, they had this on their mind about telling them about Jesus, about witnessing to them. And there's so many things that we can include in our witness to people today, from you through the oldest adult. We have things to witness to other people. When the apostles went, as you read this, they went from city to province to town to the next location to witness to the ones, the tens, the hundreds. Even in synagogues and prisons, they witnessed wherever they were. I don't know that we quite have that concept, that consistency, that impact in our lives that says to us, this is probably one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, you need to go to work and provide for your family, but hey, you know what? I put you in this place for a reason. You work with other people. I am a chaplain with both the Sheriff's Office and Abilene Police Department. As part of the Sheriff's Office chaplaincy, I go to the three briefings one day every week. I do a devotional. I've been allowed the freedom to be able to walk through the jail and talk to the other correctional officers. I cannot tell you the number of times somebody pulls me aside and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Or, hey, I need you to pray about something. Probably every shift without fail, there is someone and sometimes it kind of gets busy. Donna will say, are you going to be home by, you know, one o'clock in the morning from this one? I don't know. That's probably going to be a little tight, you know. But we'll see. Do you know wherever we go is wherever we go? You can witness to someone here out in the hall. Please don't start that right now. But out in the hall be great. You witness somebody at work. You witness somebody at the mall, wherever you go, from place to place, the ones, the tens, the hundreds, because your goal is to glorify God and bear the fruit and bear it abundantly, as abundantly as we can, as the Lord leads. I believe God gives us divine interventions, divine witnessing opportunities every day. Every day. You ever just meet a stranger? Don't look at it as a stranger from now on. Look at it, hey, this is a possible divine intervention right here. Right here coming up. I'm about to be speaking to someone. I have no idea who they are, but God has set up this appointment this time. What am I going to say? Bearing fruit. Sowing God's word. And I think a lot of times, folks, it starts with our testimony. How did God save us? What was our life before, our life after? God saving us. Yeah, we need to put some scripture in there. It's important. Because people need to understand that you have been saved by God who made this possible in your life. 
Proclaim God. And watch people respond. Bearing fruit. And then the third part of the command to abide. If we don't look at this carefully, and sometimes we can look at a passage and overlook something real quick, we might think this is our abiding in God. But if you look at it, it's so that our fruit will abide in God. Do you see that? We're already abiding. We're already gaining strength. We're already growing the fruit that comes from us. That fruit needs to also abide in God themselves. To understand this command for themselves. I think if we could put it succinctly, it would be, this is discipleship. We've got witnessing and we've got discipleship all wrapped up together. Jesus is telling us that our fruit needs to abide. Our fruit also needs to abide in Christ. Taking you back to Matthew 28, 20. After Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Simple discipleship. Is the D now the D part discipleship? I thought so it used to be. I just want to make sure it still is. Okay, I think things changed through my lifetime. This is so important. If you've signed up, God bless you. If you haven't, get, get with it, you know. This is important. This is important. You might have the witnessing down, but what about discipling your friends at school or wherever, you know, you have your friends at, social media or wherever, you can disciple them. They need to know also that they can plug into the power of Christ and they need to do that. They also need to go and share with their friends. If I can say it this way, God wants us to be disciple makers of people who are going to make disciples. And so on and so on and so on. Isn't it great how God just puts things together? But this is where our fruit learns to abide. Can I share a passage of Scripture with you that just kind of shows you all this? Acts, the 16th chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. Acts 16, 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison under a jailer to keep them safely. By the way, back then, the Roman jailers, if they allowed a prisoner to escape, they were executed. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. Now, I want you to get this picture. 
They probably don't have their outer upper garments on. They have been beaten severely with rods to the point that, yeah, you're bringing blood and there's possibly some broken bones. You're put in stocks. And if I understand the structure of the stocks, it wasn't all the way to the ground. It was up off the ground a bit, which meant your knees were bent and you had to lay on your back. It just got beat. And to try to sit up or get up or get off of your back was nearly impossible. You were miserable in that position. And yet, here's what we see next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, not just in their hearts, they were praying out loud, and singing hymns to God. I don't know that I would be in a condition to do that. I am glad that there are people more spiritual than I am to help show me I need to be thinking about him all the time. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you not think that they weren't witnessing in their prayers and in their songs? And as they talked to one another during that time, absolutely they were witnessing. And they said, believe in Jesus, in Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, think they already knew we're about to meet the household also they can be saved too and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was and he was baptized at once he and all his family and then okay they've been saved and then He brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Tell me that they weren't discipling them at that time at the dinner table or breakfast table, whatever it was. Witnessed and began discipling so that This guard and his household could also be people who were abiding in Christ. 
This was fruit from Paul and Silas that now needed to know on their own. They can turn to God and they can rely on God's power themselves. Good command, huh? A good command to keep. Is there joy in the journey? Oh, absolutely. And Jesus addresses this as he spoke more on the work of the Holy Spirit. And he prays to the Father. In John 16, 24, Jesus says, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. You ever thought about that? That was another one of those, it's off the page and it's bold. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Why? Because Jesus has been with them this whole time. But you're about to be scattered. I'm about to be gone. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask, well... Ask in the name of the ask the Father in the name of the Son. And I will fulfill your joy. You ever witnessed anybody? You ever seen somebody that was saved? I mean, right there in front of you. Right, I mean, right now. What joy. What a rush. You talk about an adrenaline rush. Woo! I mean, it's better than a roller coaster and you going, <sighs> sorry, I can't yell. My voice is still trying to come back. But I mean, such joy. And if they're crying tears because of their joy, guess what? I start leaking too. I have never experienced more joy than the joy that comes from God in times like that. Never. And I have lived a few years than most of you, a few years more. Your joy may be full. There is abundant joy in the journey, in our witnessing, especially when we see someone who turns to Christ. In our discipleship, especially when it, those aha moments come. Oh, Oh, I get it now. Wonderful times of joy that we get to experience, that God allows us to experience in His victories. His victories. He's the one who still saves. He's the one who gets all the glory and praise. It is all about God. Isn't it wonderful? He allows us to be a part of the salvation process. We don't save. He does but he allows us to join in in the victories. And then in John 17, 13, Jesus prays these words, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus already knew he's hours from the cross. Knew that his apostles would be scattered knew that he had to die on the cross in order to usher grace in in the way that we experience it today. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will dwell within. 
He will seal us until the day of redemption. Mm. You ever thought about your prayer life for just a moment? How much your prayer life is connected to this? How much your prayer life is, I mean, just one step right after the other as you go through John 15, 16, about how God has chosen, about how he's commanded you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then the joy that God gives you, all of this is just boom, 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 boom. And when this comes alive in us, our prayer life is even more effective than it has been in the past. I think because God will identify people that we need to witness to. God will identify people we need to disciple. God will identify where we should go in doing this. We need to be humble and obedient to where God leads. And then we will see the joy. Like I said, it's all about glorifying God. It's all about glorifying God in what he's called us to do. Let's stand together if we can. We're about to pray, but I want to ask, as your heads are bowed, how effective is your prayer life? And when you pray to the Father in Jesus' name, are you aware of acknowledging God's command to you? That he wants to fill you with joy that you've never really experienced before because each one of these times are new. Focus on God. Know his will. Trust his answers. Go in his power. Enjoy his blessings. Our Heavenly Father, as we have looked at a little bit of Scripture this morning, it's our prayer that you help to grow us in a deeper understanding of what you have for us. And that as we recognize that, we become more and more obedient to you that we become more and more observant of opportunities that you open up before us. So Lord, hear the prayers that are being offered today of people around this room who want to grow in you, who want to abide in you, know your strength to know these opportunities that come up, to understand as they read your word how you speak to them in your written word. how they can help their fruit to abide. Lord, thank you for your word. You be praised and honored and glorified through our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.